Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestinated, predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We began a series last Sunday on God's will, God's way, God's word. And this first chapter of Ephesians tells us something about God. God is a planner. That's his nature. He doesn't randomly do things without careful consideration or forethought. He skillfully formulates a course of action and then actively pursues it, you see. So he began, he planned our redemption before time began. Notice, if you have Ephesians 1, notice verse 4, but I'm going to read, read it from the Living Bible, which paraphrases it, but I think it makes it clear. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. So that means before there was a problem, even before he had made Adam, God already had the solution. Glory to God. God can see the end from the beginning. So God does not wait until there's trouble in your life to go to work. He knows it's coming long before you'll ever know it. He's already prepared. God never says, wow, I didn't see that coming. No, no, no. He can see the future better than you can remember the past. And God is like a playwright. A playwright is one who writes plays, dramas, scripts, that type of thing. He didn't write the script to the drama of our redemption while it was in progress. A playwright writes the entire play ahead of time. And then it's acted out. And God not only wrote the script to the drama of redemption, he directs it. And even better than that, in the final scene, the playwright himself came on the stage. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. The Father planned Christ's life meticulously in minute detail. The prophets from the Old Testament, they foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And they predicted that Herod would slaughter the innocents, the children there. That, that, that 
that Joseph and Mary would flee to Egypt and then later come back and that Jesus would reside in Nazareth of Galilee and that he would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey and that his best friend or a close friend would betray him and he would be wounded and pierced and and that they would give him sour wine. All of these things and many, many more things. God planned those things. It wasn't a coincidence There are something like 300 verses in the Old Testament that foretell the coming of Christ. It was all planned, you see. But God not only devised a way to rescue humanity from sin, he worked out a plan for your individual life as well, and he planned it in minute detail. Did you ever read this verse from the Psalms? Psalm 139, verse 16, in the contemporary English version says this, even before I was born, you had written in your book everything I would do. David said while he was still in his mother's womb, every day that he would ever live was inscribed by God in a book. See, God does what no one else can do. He wrote your biography before you were born. Woo! Now see, I use a calendar app on my phone and laptop. And so I schedule events and appointments that I have. And so I can open up that app and I can look back and see what I was doing last week or, or even last month. And I think I can go like maybe two or three years back and see what I have done. But God can open up his book and he can tell me what I will be doing three years from now. He knows exactly where you will be five years from now. In fact, even all the way into eternity. Why? Because he's God. Hallelujah. And in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, back up to verse 13 and 14, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me. Isn't that interesting? You knitted me together. In my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Don't let anyone tell you that you were born by accident or that you are a mistake. God himself formed you in your mother's womb. Science confirms what David said thousands of years before, that your, it's a scientific fact, your genetic structure, your DNA was intricately woven together in your mother's womb. Perhaps the circumstances of your birth was not ideal. That's true of many people. But nonetheless, God gave you life. God gave you life. Don't believe 
the devil's lie. For you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Woo. And for this reason, we have no right to terminate the life of the unborn. Abortion is not just a benign medical procedure, like removing a growth or some tumor. It is not a wash. I hate that term. Abortion is murder. Inconvenience and embarrassment are not valid reasons for killing your baby. And I want to say to women who are watching or who, who are listening to me, don't let family and irresponsible men pressure you into committing this horrible sin. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to warn you and help you. You will regret it for the rest of your life. Don't do that. Well, some people say, well, it's my body, my choice. Isn't that funny? I guess that doesn't hold true for vaccines, does it? When it comes to killing your baby, it's my body, my choice. But if you don't get the shot, you're going to lose your job. Hmm. Nothing but hypocrisy. A baby does not even have the same DNA as its mother. Often the baby doesn't even have the same blood type as the mother. Hey, we're not talking about your body. We're talking about somebody else's life that's in you. Can I get an amen? That's true. While we're on the subject, Christian doctors especially should not participate in an abortion procedure. It is morally unethical and against the Hippocratic Oath. For those in the medical profession and others, let me ask you a hypothetical question. What if you had a patient who was pregnant and she already had eight children? And three of her children are deaf. Two of her children are blind. One of them is mentally retarded. And she herself has syphilis, a venereal disease. Would you recommend that this pregnant woman have an abortion? Yes? Congratulations. You just killed Beethoven the greatest composer of music that ever walked God's green earth. You're not God. In case you didn't know it, let me be the first to tell you, there is a God and you are not him. You don't decide who lives and dies. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Yeah, but Brother John, don't you think that in the case of rape, that it would be the best thing to do to go ahead and terminate the pregnancy. One of my best friends was conceived through rape. His mother put him up for adoption and a wonderful couple that, that couldn't have children 
gladly took him. There are no unwanted children in this world. That's a lie. Maybe you don't want that baby. There's somebody who does. Trust me, there is definitely somebody who does. There are people who go to fertility clinics and you know, do all kinds of things, and I understand that. They want your baby. If you don't want it, trust me, somebody does. Don't kill that baby. Don't kill that baby. I'm, I'm not trying to heap condemnation on you. If you've had an abortion, let me tell you something. Well, the blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses us, but what I'm telling you is go and sin no more. And Christians should not be wishy-washy or uncertain about this issue. There is no room for discussion. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows very well. Hallelujah. No, I don't agree that we should terminate the life of an unborn, even if conceived through rape. I do agree that we should have more severe punishment for rapists instead of a rap on the wrist. I don't believe that the cities in India should be called rape city. That I do agree with. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Well, you got ambushed today. This is the word of God. We're talking about the will of God. I said, we're talking about the will of God. God sees the future and shapes the future because he not only created time, he determines destinies. And back in Ephesians, notice this. We, we, we referred to verse, chapter 1, verse 4, but let's read verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons. So evidently God believes in adoption. Amen. He predestined us for adoption as sons. The Greek word translated predestined is uh, prorizo, prorizo. And it means to decide ahead of time, to mark out in advance, to set the boundary beforehand. So here's the thing. You would say this morning in this church, you would say, well, I'm God's son because I chose to believe Jesus and receive him as savior. And that's certainly true. That's absolutely true. But God would say this, as Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You would say, I'm saved because I chose the Lord. And that's true. But God would say, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Praise the Lord. Now, some Bible commentators on that verse in John, they would say, no, no, no. Jesus was talking to the 12. And what he means is, I chose you to be apostles. That doesn't really apply to all of us. Well, let's read the whole verse, not just part of it. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Okay. So is it only apostles that are supposed to bear fruit for the Lord? Is it only apostles who can pray to the father in Jesus name and expect an answer? No. So that's true of all of us. Let me give you another verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. 
I didn't come here to scratch your itch. I came here to give you light. Nobody said it was going to be a pleasant experience, but nonetheless, you'll get what you needed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Notice this. For consider your calling. Somebody say calling. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Next verse. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I often hear ministers quote this verse. Uh, over the years, I've heard it many times. Uh, uh, someone, a preacher will say, you know, I, I don't have any qualifications. You know, I don't have much education. But God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, right? And that's a valid point, and I, I don't disagree with that at all. There's just one little problem. This passage is not talking about ministry. This is talking about salvation. Not everybody in Corinth was called to be in the ministry. He's talking to all of them. You were called. You were chosen. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you go all the way back to verse 2, in that, in that chapter, I didn't give it to the sound booth, but you, you can see it in your Bible. In verse 2, it says that you were called to be saints, God's holy people. Praise the Lord. Then in verse 1, the very first verse of the chapter, Paul said he was called, same word, called to be an apostle by the will of God. See, you were called by the will of God to be saved just as Paul was called by the will of God to serve. Your first calling is to be a child of God. That passage that we read in 1 Corinthians, verses 27, 28, uses the expression, God chose, three times. God chose, God chose, God chose. 15 times in the New Testament, we see this expression or this term, the elect, God's elect, the elect, referring to believers. When we have a, a, a political election, what do we do? We choose. We choose a candidate. God chose you. I said, God chose you. Praise the Lord. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, again, our, our text, you know, it says that you have been predestined according to his purpose, according to the purpose of him. And Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5, the last part of verse 4, and then verse 5 says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. God decided about us ahead of time, before we were even conceived. He marked us out in advance and set the boundaries of our life beforehand. That means we are people of destiny. You're not just bumping around stumbling through life, just doing whatever you want to do. God has set 
a race before you. God has determined a path that he wants you to take. It's the will of God. It's the will of God. Now, I know you're thinking, you're, you're, thinking, you're listening very carefully. That's good, that's good. When it comes to destiny, when it comes to the subject of destiny, some people, especially you know, in the world, they say, I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my soul. I determine my direction and my destiny. So in their mind, God has nothing to do with their future. So they live independent of God or maybe in defiance of God. If you mention God, they get real aggravated and irritated, you see. Then again, others, especially Christians, they say everything is in God's hands. Whatever he has decreed for me shall be for me. In their minds, they have nothing to do or almost nothing to do with their future. It's just all up to God. Whatever he wants, that's what's going to happen. So they live fatalistically, oh well, and passively, accepting whatever comes their way. Well, if it happened, it must be God's will, so we must accept it. But neither of those views are biblical. Neither of them agree with Scripture. The Bible teaches us that God has a will for your life. And he requires your cooperation. As far as you're concerned, he requires your cooperation. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. So it's not all up to God. Oh, well, God, you know, whatever, whatever he wants, that's what's going to happen. And it's not all up to you. But when you submit your will to God's will, grace flows. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. First Timothy chapter two, verse four says that God desires all people to be saved and to come the, to the knowledge of the truth. What God desires would be his will, right? So what is God's will? That some people be saved? No, he wants all people to be saved. Then again, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, God is not wishing or not willing or not desiring that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance. So let me ask you a question. Everybody here, is it God's will for everyone to be saved? Yes or no? Yes, that's correct. We just read it from those scriptures. You're going to have to change the Bible to think otherwise. It's God's will for everyone to be saved. Next question, is everyone saved? Well, will everyone eventually go to heaven? So that proves just because God wants something, that doesn't necessarily guarantee it will happen. Likewise, just because you want something 
that doesn't necessarily guarantee it will happen. Some people say, yeah, but all things are possible to him who believes. What are you basing your faith on? Well, I want it. That's called fake faith. And fake faith doesn't work. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. See, it is God's will for all to be saved, but salvation is conditional. There are some requirements. Men are saved by hearing and believing the gospel. So if they have not heard or they will not believe, they cannot be saved. The reason people perish is not because of God's will. It's because of man's will. Well, maybe they didn't even hear. Well, that's because we didn't have the will to tell them. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Now, as you have heard more than you care to remember, I was raised Presbyterian, God's frozen people. And in our denomination as a boy, I was there for 16 years, as a boy, most of the people in our church, many of the people in our church believed in some form of Calvinism. Basically, what they believed is some people are predestined to be saved. Some are predestined to be lost. It's been divinely decided, and there's nothing you can do about it. In other words, if God has chosen you to be the damned, I'm not cursing, that's what the Bible says. If God has chosen you to be the damned, even if you say, no, I believe, no, I want to receive Jesus. Nope, won't happen, won't happen, won't happen. And even if you say, I don't believe nothing, I'm never going to receive Jesus, if God has determined it, he'll just drag you into heaven whether you like it or not. And of course, if you believe that concerning salvation, then you will have the same kind of thinking in other areas of your life. See, that's the most important thing. If you believe that's how God works concerning salvation, then naturally you'll believe that about other things. So in our church, if they prayed for the sick, they normally didn't, but if they did, they would say, heal this person, Lord, if it's your will. Well, the problem with that is they're thinking, well, if he wants to do it, he'll do it, and if he doesn't want to do it, he won't do it, and so the next step is, why bother praying? And the next question is, well, why did Jesus tell us to pray? I don't know. So what do we have? A ritual, a ceremony, but we really don't think anything's gonna happen. So these people resign themselves to fate and they join Doris Day and sing, Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not mine, you see. Que sera, sera. <laughs> Had to wake you up, you're a little sleepy. Lovely song, totally crap. Don't you believe that? <laughs> Jesus is not in heaven. The angels are not singing that song in heaven either. That is not what the Bible teaches us. If you sing that song, the demons will join the chorus. <laughs> and the devil will rob you blind and steal everything you have while you're there going, <laughs> That's not scriptural. The Bible tells me, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It doesn't say, well, if it happened, it must be God. Pfft, that is nonsense. Who told you that? Amen. 
Hallelujah. So when I was a student in college, of course, that was a long time ago. That was the last century. When I was a student in college, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then uh, I had a new hunger for the things of God. I began to read the Bible for myself. There's a novel idea. And right away, I saw many things in the scriptures that contradicted what we were taught. Sometimes I even approached my Presbyterian pastor and said, you know, the Bible says this. You know, for example, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but as you have figured out, that's not a grave concern of mine. Uh, <laughs> I approached our pastor and I said, you know, we baptize babies in our church, but nobody in the book of Acts did that. And you know what he did? He kind of chuckled and smiled and said, you're right, but, um, you know, that's the way we do it. Which is tantamount to saying, I know we're wrong and don't ask us to change. Since they didn't change, I made a change. I'm sure there are Presbyterians who really do believe the Bible and more power to you, but I'm just telling you my experience. But on the other hand, we do see verses in the Bible like I quoted to you, like I read to you, Ephesians 1, verse 5 and verse 11, that talk about us being predestined, predestined to be adopted, predestined according to the purpose of him. So because I grew up in that background, you know, very passive background, just kind of like, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. Since I grew up that way, I asked the Lord about it because it seems like an apparent contradiction in the Bible. And this was many years ago. I mean, I was just a student, you know. But this is what the Lord whispered to my heart. And I remembered it. He said to me, every train has a preset destination. It's not like a taxi. And he didn't say that part. That's, that's, I'm telling you that part. He said, it's not like a taxi. The conductor, he said, doesn't ask the passengers on the train, where would you like to go? How many of you want to go to Delhi? You know, how many of you want to go, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, China? You know, no, he doesn't ask them. The, the, the destination has been predetermined. It's already set, you see, in advance. However, whether or not you board that train, that's entirely your choice. That's what the Lord spoke to me. So I get it. God wants all people to be saved. And it's also not his will that his children fail and flounder in life. But your will must come into agreement with his will. God has a will for your life. And he requires your cooperation. If it wasn't true, then I don't need to preach to you. We'll just all sing Doris Day songs and, you know, just, just go about our life and everything will just, they all lived happily ever after. But that's obviously not what's going on. So we have to make a change. Amen? Let's go back. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 again. Are you still here? I fear that some of you have left your body in the chair, but your soul is having lunch or something. I don't know. Some of you, I don't know, I think you can sleep with your eyes open. It really bothers me. Amen. Just every, every five minutes. Amen. You're not there. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. In him, in Christ, really what he's saying is because of Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I want you to notice this part again. 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice it says God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, the New Testament was written in Greek. The word translated works in that verse is in the present tense. So if Paul, or the Holy Spirit through Paul, had used past tense, worked, then we might assume that he's talking about something that God did long, long ago. But he's talking about something that God is doing right now in your life. God is working. Well, I thought he rested on the seventh day, but then he went back to work on Monday, just like you. <laughs> God is working. Amen? And notice God works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is counsel? It's advice, right? Can you give me counseling? It's advice. God doesn't need your advice. And God is not interested in your opinion. Lord, I think I should tell you something. You're making a mistake here. He's not interested in hearing that. God knows what he wants to do. He's not going to turn to you, his most trusted advisor. Please help me in this situation. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Can I get counseling from you? Can I make an appointment with you? In your dreams. <laughs> Amen. He knows why he made you. He's not confused about it. You are, but he's not confused about it. And God is not indecisive. Like some dearly beloved. They say it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind. When we get dressed in the morning on Sunday, I always tease my wife because she gets dressed real early. And I'm like, I'm like slower than her, you know. But she gets dressed real early, but it's okay because she will try on three different outfits. Is this number two or three you're wearing today? I saw number one. I don't know if there was a second. I didn't catch that one. But she, she you know, women change their mind. Don't raise your, yes, I see your hand. Okay, God bless you. <laughs> women change their mind. And then a lot of men are indecisive. We could do some counseling right now. You know how it goes. You know, you and your wife say, let's go out. She says, let's go out to eat. Let's go to a restaurant tonight. It's Friday, Saturday, let's go out to eat. Okay, and you say to her, where do you want to go? She says, oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And you say, um, Chinese? And she says, no, I had Chinese for lunch. Okay, well, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? <laughs> Should we try South Indian food? No, no, last time that gave me gas. And then, then where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Um, there's, an, there's a new Italian place. You want to try that? No, I'm, I don't think I trust that place. No, no, no. Well, then where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? <laughs> and about that time, you just drive the car right into the Nala. <laughs> But actually, a lot of men are indecisive. There are a lot of indecisive men. That's why some of you are not married yet. 
So I pretty much made an enemy out of everybody here. What's left? Grandmothers? I don't know who else I can attack. <laughs> God is not indecisive. Never, when you ask God about your future, does he say, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Amen. Notice this. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him, according to his purpose. God, everything that God does is for a purpose and on purpose. God doesn't roll dice when it comes to your future. He doesn't say, well, let's just see. Maybe if we're lucky, it'll work out. No, no, that's not God. They don't talk that way. Hmm? And what happens from the Lord, from the Lord is not an accident. For everything God does, there is a reason. Now, not everything that happens is from God. I already told you that. But what God does, there's a reason why he does it. You may not understand it, but that doesn't mean he doesn't understand it. Are you listening to me? Now, some people, you know, they get cancer and they say, well, the Lord must have a purpose in this. No, the devil has a purpose in this. Yeah, the devil also has a plan for your life and he needs your cooperation. I'm not talking about that. What God does, he does for your good. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a reason. Somebody said this, just somebody in the world said this, the two greatest days in your life are the day you got born and the day you discover why. So God, for you, your greatest day was being born again. But now you need to know why did he bring you into the kingdom for such a time as this. You need to discover God's purpose for your life. Are you listening to me? Amen. So he made you for his purposes. He did not wait till you were born. And then up in heaven, one of the angels passed your name to him. And he's like, another one? Well, they sure are having a lot of babies. It must be COVID. Um, well, uh, uh, what are we going to do with this one, sir? I don't know. Should we put him in the ministry? Well, no, I don't, I don't know. Any suggestions? Anybody? No, no, no. God formulated his purpose before the creation of the world, and he made you for his purpose. Why am I this way? Shall the clay say to the potter, why have you made me this way? He made you for his purpose. That's why you are the way you are. Of course, he's working, present tense, in you to make you a better you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I wish I was born, you know, some other time, you know, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. God made you for this day. He made you for this generation because this is the best time to be alive. You should be grateful and honored that you are part of this end-time army that's going to usher in the second coming of Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We are then people of purpose. There's a higher purpose than paying the bills. There's a higher purpose than just, you know, putting food in your belly and clothes on your back. There's a purpose. There's a reason why you're here. Well, just to be blessed. If that's all God wanted, he'd take you to heaven. You couldn't be more blessed than to be in heaven. Obviously, you're not in heaven. So, so there's a reason you're here. There's a reason you're here. People need more than luxurious items, 
fancy clothes and cars. They need a reason to live. Why am I even here? God has a purpose for your life. Don't let anybody tell you differently. God has a purpose for your life. You need to discover his plan. Notice again, Ephesians 1.11. God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. His will. God is not working to accomplish your will. Nowhere does the Bible say that. He's working to fulfill his will for your life. His power does not promote your plan. He's working to fulfill his plan for your life. So if it seems like things are just not really working and doesn't seem like God's really, you know, working in my life. Maybe it's because you're not in his will, darling. That's true. We often tell young people, especially, you know, like a graduation commencement exercise or just in general, we tell young people, chase your dreams. Just pursue the goals you have made for yourself in life. Nowhere does the Bible tell us to do that. That's a meme you saw on social media. That's not scripture. God never said that. You're going you're to confuse people, and you're going to be confused if that's the way you live. The Bible instructs us, do the will of God. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it rather, labor in vain. In vain, if something is in vain, it's pointless, it's meaningless. It's all this effort and for no reason, for no purpose. If God isn't in it, if it's not his will, you may get it done, but it's all for nothing. It's a waste of time. You understand there are people exerting a lot of effort, spend, expending a lot of resources, and God didn't ask them to do that. They just dreamed that up themselves. And maybe you get it built, but if God's not in it, it will come to nothing. Are you listening to me? When we are out of God's will, things don't work out well. In this church and in this ministry, and I say this for the glory of the Lord, but in this church and in this ministry, whatever success is here or we've experienced it's mainly, this is the reason, because this was his idea and not mine. It's still his idea. I mean, sometimes, especially years ago, and don't interpret this the wrong way, but some people say, Brother John, 
What would happen to you if the government of India sent you back to America? I'd be dancing in the streets. This was not my idea to begin with. It was his idea. <laughs> this is his idea. There have been times when it looked like things were going to fail and everything's against me. Was I just on my knees crying out to heaven, bombarding the gates of heaven? No, I was eating my lunch and I said, God, this is your problem, not my problem. See, if the Lord builds the house, life is a whole lot easier. If you're always on the verge of a nervous breakdown, maybe you're building the wrong house. Thank you for your endorsement. One more verse, maybe one more. Yes, Proverbs 27, verse eight, New King James Version. Like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. There's a place for you. And in that place, there's grace. There's divine safety and security in the perfect will of God. And the word place in this verse can also be translated home. Your home is not just the place where you decide to pay rent or plot of land that you buy. Your home is the place where God puts you in this life. Paul's preaching in Athens said that God predetermined the boundaries of the nations. He set your boundaries too. He said, this is the place for you. So don't let distraction or disappointment cause you to wander off out of your place. The best place for you is in the perfect will of God. God made you for his purposes. God knows you better than your mother, better than your best friend. He knows your thoughts while you still think them. He knows the word you will speak before it comes out of your mouth. He knows what's best for you. And nobody loves you like Jesus. So if he says, this is the place you should be, trust me, that is the best place. It may not look like the best place, and I can speak from experience. Sometimes you're thinking, no, actually, God, you're wrong on this one. No, 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 trust me. He knows what he's doing. He's God. He's been God for a long time. He knows what he's doing. He needs your cooperation. Sometimes the way you cooperate with God is staying in your place. Even when your flesh is saying, get me out of here. And the devil is a master of deception. He's doing his best to get you out of your place because that's where you're most vulnerable. That's where you're weak. I've seen bad things happen to Christians because they wandered out of their place. I'm not trying to scare you or, 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 or strike fear into your heart, but I, but I am telling you that the enemy makes being out of the will of God look so enticing. You know, you, you look over into your neighbor's compound and the grass is greener over there. You know, you just think like, if I was there, I wouldn't have any problems. I mean, if I just could just be there in that place or doing that particular thing, you know, life would be so wonderful. And, and the enemy just, you know, kind of endorses that and builds on that. And that thought just keeps going over. And, and you, you, have far, you have that far away look in your eyes. The eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. 
But wisdom is before him who has understanding. The will of God for you might be a lot closer than you realize. You know why you have trouble with it? It's not what you like. Can you pray for me that God will show me his will? Sometimes he's already showed you, but you don't like it. So you pretend like you don't know. No, I don't know. I have no idea. I thought about leaving Nagaland. You have to understand, I don't, don't be offended by this, but we came here in 1994, and it was like walking into a war zone at that time. Seriously. Some of you weren't born, I'm not sure, but, you know, 1994, and it was like a war zone. And I mean, you know, I mean, literally bullets are flying in the air and, you know, everything chaos and light was off more than it's on. I thought, why do we have light bulbs? We don't need them. And, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and even everybody I talked to told me to leave. My own mother-in-law asked me to leave. Everybody said, don't stay here. Right? My, but that when I met my in-laws, they said, we're so thankful to meet you. We're so glad you came. We're so glad that you married our daughter. And I'm like, oh, well, it was a long trip. Took, you know, hours and hours to get here. A lot of money. Oh, great. We're so glad to meet you. Now we want you to go to America and never come back here again. <laughs> Is that true? That's true. The very, the very first day that I was in Nagaland, that's what she said to me. And after being here for a few days and weeks... I thought to myself, that old woman is right. She is right. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and me and my wife, everybody told us to leave. We were planning to leave. We were, I mean, this is not a minor inconvenience like, you know, uh, oh, you mean they don't have Baskin Robbins? No, no, this was like serious deal. And we're making plans to go. I even visited Sikkim. The Bible says Sikkim. And I, I visited... <laughs> I took that as a sign, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, we were making plans to leave. And while my wife and her brother were talking, I heard a voice behind me say, this is the place I have prepared for you. I almost turned around thinking who walked up behind me and said that. And I realized it was God. This, and it was just in that tone of voice, this is the place I have prepared for you. Now, did I jump up and down and shout, hallelujah, I've heard from heaven? No. I went, no, 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 no. Get thee behind me, Satan. That, that's the devil. He's, he's trying to confuse me. That's, no, 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 please. I pretend like I didn't hear it. No, I, I don't, I'm not sure what that was. I, 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 the reason why so many are indecisive, they're not sure, they keep bumping around, going around in circles, is God's already showed them. They know in their heart. They just don't like it. At some point in your Christian life, God is going to ask you to do something that your flesh doesn't want to do. Probably right now while I'm speaking. <laughs> just sitting here. That's the way it is. It's not going to be a picnic. Every day is ice cream and candy. There's going to be some, some sacrifices. There's going to be some things that I don't want to do that. How do you think Jesus felt in Gethsemane? Was he there, you know, like talking to his friends? Well, I'm so, I'm, this is going to be so exciting. I've been waiting for this day. Woohoo, man, I'm telling you, make sure you take pictures. No, no, no. <laughs> no, he knew. The humanity in him was saying, get out of here, get out of here right now. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get out of here. This, you, you need to get out of here. You can run. You got angels. You can call angels down to protect you. But he stayed put till his sweat became like drops of blood. Why? Whatever God's plan for you, it's not about you. 
See, that's the problem with your dream. It's a selfish dream. Maybe part of that is true. Maybe there's, there's a part of it, but a lot of times it's like a, a cheap replica of the real dream that God has for you. God's purpose for you will always benefit other people. Jesus knew that. He said, I'm not doing this for me. It's not my moment. He could look through the ages and he saw your face. And he said, I'm going to do this for them and for my father. Are you listening to me? There's something greater than your own hopes for a better future. It is the plan of God for your life. Yeah, but what about Joseph? I mean, he had a dream. God gave that young man a dream. And even when he had the dream, Joseph did not try to make it happen. He didn't say, well, everybody bowing down to me like I'm a prince. Tell you what, I'm going to change my major to political science now, and I think I need to maybe dress a little fashion forward. No, 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 that, that, he didn't do anything to try to make it happen. In fact, he, you know the story, I don't have to go there. He had a series of setbacks where it looks like, talk about people bowing down to me. I'm now a slave in a foreign country. I'm a piece of property. I don't even belong to myself. And just when you thought it couldn't get worse, he's in prison, forgotten, tossed aside. Now he's a criminal. I'm sure it must have been tempted to think that wasn't God or this, this dream is turning into a real nightmare. But he, he stayed in the will of God for his life, even in prison. God can bless you no matter where you are. He rose to the top no matter where he was I know the story that he went from the jailhouse to the White House overnight. He was made the prime minister of the country. And Pharaoh himself said, you will be second in command. And when he, when Joseph walked down the street, a crier ran before him and said, bow the knee. I can just imagine Joseph going down the street, busy with his business. The officials tell everybody on the side of the road, bow the knee. And there's Potiphar and his wife. <laughs> hey there, toots. <laughs> it came true. It came true because God brought it to pass. But God had a bigger purpose than just status and dignity and honor for Joseph. Not only did he save the nation of Israel, the fledgling nation, from starvation, there's a better purpose. They weren't a family. They were just a collection of people living together. You know the story. Jacob thought he was getting Rachel. And next morning, surprise, don't ever get married at night. <laughs> and so then, you know, so, so he got Leah. And then he had to work seven more years, got Rachel. And then not only that, they, they each had, you know, I forget their names, Bill Dad and whatever, you know, me dad or something. They had, they had not me dad, but they had, you know, their, their two, uh, like, servants, female servants to help them. And they start having a birthing competition. And so since Rachel didn't have any children, she says, okay, you can sleep with my servant. And Jacob said, oh, praise the Lord. You know, and he, he just, 
So the, and then, you know, then, then, you know, Leah, she realized that, you know, she's not having more children. So she says, well, here's my servant. So they're having, they're just shooting out babies left and right all over the place. And they're not a family. There's rivalry, there's competition, there's jealousy. They're, they're in four factions. God's purpose in Joseph, he pulled them all together as one family where even, even Reuben said, no, 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 I'll stay here. Let, don't, 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 don't take Benjamin, our littlest, our youngest brother. I'll, I'll stay, even though he's from a different mother, I'll stay here and, and you can have my life. I'll stay in prison. And they're, they're sacrificing for one another. They're giving for one another. They care about one another. And he pulled them together, one family. God has a purpose. God works according to the counsel of his will. The more I align myself with his will, the more he works. You may not see the beginning from the end, and I'm sure you won't, but do what you know to do. Take care of the pennies. The dollars will take care of themselves. You do what God has told you to do, and he'll show you more. Amen. The best place for you is in the perfect will of God. That's why you came here this morning for me to tell you that the best place for you is in the will of God. Amen. Would you stand with me to your feet today?